Volume Two, Chapter Three of the Mysteries of Rodolfo, Part B. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Mysteries of Rodolfo by Anne Radcliffe, Volume Two, Chapter Three, Part B. This letter brought many tears to Emily's eyes tears of tenderness and satisfaction on learning that Valancourt was well, and that time and absence had in no degree effaced her image from his heart. There were passages in this letter which particularly affected her, such as those describing his visits to La Vallée, and the sentiments of delicate affection that its scenes had awakened. It was a considerable time before her mind was sufficiently abstracted from Valancourt to feel the force of his intelligence concerning La Vallée, that M. Quenel should let it, without even consulting her on the measure, both surprised and shocked her, particularly as it proved the absolute authority he thought himself entitled to exercise in her affairs. It is true, he had proposed, before she left France, that the chateau should be let during her absence, and to the economical prudence of this she had nothing to object. But the committing what had been her father's villa to the power and caprice of strangers, and that depriving herself of a sure home, should any unhappy circumstances make her look back to her home as an asylum, were considerations that made her, even then, strongly oppose the measure. Her father, too, in his last hour, had received from her a solemn promise never to dispose of La Vallée, and this she considered as in some degree violated if she suffered the place to be let. But it was now evident with how little respect M. Quenel had regarded these objections, and how insignificant he considered every obstacle to pecuniary advantage. It appeared, also, that he had not even condescended to inform Montoni of the step he had taken, since no motive was evident for Montoni's concealing the circumstance from her, if it had been made known to him. This both displeased and surprised her. But the chief subjects of her uneasiness were the temporary disposal of La Vallée and the dismission of her father's old and faithful servant. "'Poor Theresa,' said Emily, "'thou hadst not saved much in thy servitude, for thou wast always tender towards the poor, and believedst thou shouldst die in the family, where thy best years had been spent. Poor Theresa, now thou art turned out in thy old age to seek thy bread.' Emily wept bitterly as these thoughts passed over her mind, and she determined to consider what could be done for Theresa, and to talk very explicitly to M. Quenel on the subject but she much feared that his cold heart could feel only for itself. She determined also to inquire whether he had made any mention of her affairs in his letter to Montoni, who soon gave her the opportunity she sought by desiring that she would attend him in his study. She had little doubt that the interview was intended for the purpose of communicating to her a part of M. Quenel's letter concerning the transactions at La Vallée, and she obeyed him immediately. Montoni was alone. "'I have just been writing to M. Quenel,' said he, when Emily appeared, "'in reply to the letter I received from him a few days ago, "'and I wish to talk to you upon a subject that occupied part of it.' "'I also wish to speak with you on this topic, sir,' said Emily. "'It is a subject of some interest to you, undoubtedly,' rejoined Montoni, "'and I think you must see it in a light that I do. "'Indeed, it will not bear any other.' I trust you will agree with me that any objection founded on sentiment, as they call it, ought to yield to circumstances of solid advantage. Granting this, sir, replied Emily modestly, those of humanity ought surely to be attended to. 
but I fear it is now too late to deliberate upon this plan, and I must regret that it is no longer in my power to reject it. It is too late, said Montoni, but since it is so, I am pleased to observe that you submit to reason and necessity without indulging useless complaint. I applaud this conduct exceedingly, the more perhaps since it discovers a strength of mind seldom observable in your sex. When you are older you will look back with gratitude to the friends who assisted in rescuing you from the romantic illusions of sentiment, and will perceive that they are only the snares of childhood, and should be vanquished the moment you escape from the nursery. I have not closed my letter, and you may add a few lines to inform your uncle of your acquiescence. You will soon see him, for it is my intention to take you, with Madame Montoni, in a few days to Miarenti, and you can then talk over the affair. Emily wrote on the opposite page of the paper as follows. It is now useless, sir, for me to remonstrate upon the circumstances of which Signor Montoni informs me that he has written. I could have wished, at least, that the affair had been concluded with less precipitation, that I might have taught myself to subdue some prejudices, as the Signor calls them, which still linger in my heart. As it is, I submit. In point of prudence, nothing certainly can be objected, but, though I submit, I have yet much to say on some other points of the subject, when I shall have the honour of seeing you. In the meantime, I entreat you will take care of Theresa, for the sake of, sir, your affectionate niece, Emily St. Albert. Montoni smiled satirically at what Emily had written, but did not object to it, and she withdrew to her own apartment, where she sat down to begin a letter to Valancourt, in which she related the particulars of her journey and her arrival at Venice, described some of the most striking scenes in the passage over the Alps, her emotions on her first view of Italy, the manners and characters of the people around her, and some few circumstances of Montoni's conduct. But she avoided even naming Count Morano, much more the declaration he had made, since she well knew how tremblingly alive to fear is real love, how jealously watchful of every circumstance that may affect its interest, and she scrupulously avoided to give Valancourt even the slightest reason for believing he had a rival. On the following day Count Morano dined again at Montoni's. He was in an uncommon flow of spirits, and Emily thought there was somewhat of exultation in his manner of addressing her, which she had never observed before. She endeavoured to repress this by more than her usual reserve, but the cold civility of her air now seemed rather to encourage than to depress him. He appeared watchful of an opportunity of speaking with her alone, and more than once solicited this, but Emily always replied that she could hear nothing from him which he would be unwilling to repeat before the whole company. In the evening Madame Montoni and her party went out upon the sea, and as the Count led Emily to his Zendaletto, he carried her hand to his lips, and thanked her for the condescension she had shown him. Emily, in extreme surprise and displeasure, hastily withdrew her hand, and concluded that he had spoken ironically, but on reaching the steps of the terrace, and observing by the livery that it was the Count's Zendaletto which waited below, while the rest of the party, having arranged themselves in the gondolas, were moving on, she determined not to permit a separate conversation, and, wishing him a good evening, returned to the portico. The Count followed, to expostulate and entreat, and Montoni, who then came out, rendered solicitation unnecessary, for, without condescending to speak, he took her hand and led her to the Zendaletto. Emily was not silent. She entreated Montoni, in a low voice, to consider the impropriety of these circumstances, and that he would spare her the mortification of submitting to them. He, however, was inflexible. 
this caprice is intolerable said he and shall not be indulged there is no impropriety in the case at this moment emily's dislike of count morano rose to abhorrence that he should with undaunted assurance thus pursue her notwithstanding all she had expressed on the subject of his addresses and think as it was evident he did that her opinion of him was of no consequence so long as his pretensions were sanctioned by montoni added indignation to the disgust which she had felt towards him she was somewhat relieved by observing that montoni was to be of the party who seated himself on one side of her while morano placed himself on the other there was a pause for some moments as the gondolieri prepared their oars and emily trembled from apprehension of the discourse that might follow this silence at length she collected courage to break it herself in the hope of preventing fine speeches from morano and reproof from montoni to some trivial remark which she made the latter returned a short and disobliging reply but morano immediately followed with a general observation which he contrived to end with a particular compliment and though emily passed it without even the notice of a smile he was not discouraged i have been impatient said he addressing emily to express my gratitude to thank you for your goodness but i must also thank signor montoni who has allowed me this opportunity of doing so emily regarded the count with a look of mingled astonishment and displeasure why continued he should you wish to diminish the delight of this moment by that air of cruel reserve why seek to throw me again into the perplexities of doubt by teaching your eyes to contradict the kindness of your late declaration you cannot doubt the sincerity the ardour of my passion it is therefore unnecessary charming emily surely unnecessary any longer to attempt the disguise of your sentiments if i ever had disguised them sir said emily with a recollected spirit it would certainly be unnecessary any longer to do so i had hoped sir that you would have spared me any farther necessity of alluding to them but since you do not grant this hear me declare and for the last time that your perseverance has deprived you even of the esteem which i was inclined to believe you merited astonishing exclaimed montoni this is beyond even my expectation though i have hitherto done justice to the caprice of the sex but you will observe mademoiselle emily that i am no lover though count morano is and that i will not be made the amusement of your capricious moments here is the offer of an alliance which would do honour to any family yours you will recollect is not noble you long resisted my remonstrances but my honour is now engaged and it shall not be trifled with you shall adhere to the declaration which you have made me an agent to convey to the count i must certainly mistake you sir said emily my answers on the subject have been uniform it is unworthy of you to accuse me of caprice if you have condescended to be my agent it is an honour i did not solicit i myself have constantly assured count morano and you also sir that i never can accept the honour he offers me and i now repeat the declaration the count looked with an air of surprise and inquiry at montoni whose countenance also was marked with surprise but it was surprise mingled with indignation here is confidence as well as caprice said the latter will you deny your own words madam such a question is unworthy of an answer sir said emily blushing you will recollect yourself and be sorry that you have asked it speak to the point rejoined montoni in a voice of increasing vehemence will you deny your own words will you deny that you acknowledged only a few hours ago 
that it was too late to recede from your engagements, and that you accepted the Count's hand. I will deny all this, for no words of mine ever imported it. Astonishing! Will you deny what you wrote to Monsieur Quenel, your uncle? If you do, your own hand will bear testimony against you. What have you now to say? continued Montoni, observing the silence and confusion of Emily. I now perceive, sir, that you are under a very great error, and that I have been equally mistaken. No more duplicity, I entreat. Be open and candid, if it be possible. I have always been so, sir, and can claim no merit in such conduct, for I have had nothing to conceal. How is this, signor? cried Morano, with trembling emotion. Suspend your judgment, Count, replied Montoni. The wiles of a female heart are unsearchable. Now, madame, your explanation. Excuse me, sir, if I withhold my explanation till you appear willing to give me your confidence. Assertion at present can only subject me to insult. Your explanation, I entreat you, said Morano. Well, well, rejoined Montoni, I give you my confidence. Let us hear this explanation. Let me lead to it, then, by asking a question. As many as you please, said Montoni, contemptuously. What, then, was the subject of your letter to Monsieur Quenel? The same that was the subject of your note to him, certainly. You did well to stipulate for my confidence before you demanded that question. I must beg you'll be more explicit, sir. What was that subject? What could it be but the noble offer of Count Morano? said Montoni. Then, sir, we entirely misunderstood each other, replied Emily. We entirely misunderstood each other, too, I suppose, rejoined Montoni, in the conversation which preceded the writing of that note. I must do you the justice to own that you are very ingenious at this same art of misunderstanding. Emily tried to restrain the tears that came to her eyes, and to answer with becoming firmness. Allow me, sir, to explain myself fully, or to be wholly silent. The explanation may now be dispensed with. It is anticipated. If Count Morano still thinks one necessary, I will give him an honest one. You have changed your intention since our last conversation, and, if he can have patience and humility enough to wait till tomorrow, he will probably find it changed again. But, as I have neither the patience or the humility which you expect from a lover, I warn you of the effect of my displeasure. Montoni, you are too precipitate, said the Count, who had listened to this conversation in extreme agitation and impatience. Signora, I entreat your own explanation of this affair. Signor Montoni has said justly, replied Emily, that all explanation may now be dispensed with. After what has passed, I cannot suffer myself to give one. It is sufficient for me and for you, sir, that I repeat my late declaration. Let me hope this is the last time it will be necessary for me to repeat it. I never can accept the honour of your alliance. Charming Emily, exclaimed the Count in an impassioned tone, let not resentment make you unjust. Let me not suffer for the offence of Montoni. Revoke. Offence, interrupted Montoni. Count, this language is ridiculous. This submission is childish. Speak as becomes a man, not as the slave of a pretty tyrant. You distract me, signor. Suffer me to plead my own cause. You have already proved insufficient to it. 
all conversation on this subject sir said emily is worse than useless since it can bring only pain to each of us if you would oblige me pursue it no farther it is impossible madam that i can thus easily resign the object of a passion which is the delight and torment of my life i must still love still pursue you with unremitting ardour when you shall be convinced of the strength and constancy of my passion your heart must soften into pity and repentance is this generous sir is this manly can it either deserve or obtain the esteem you solicit thus to continue a persecution from which i have no present means of escaping a gleam of moonlight that fell upon morano's countenance revealed the strong emotions of his soul and glancing on montoni discovered the dark resentment which contrasted his features by heaven this is too much suddenly exclaimed the count signor montoni you treat me ill it is from you that i shall look for explanation from me sir you shall have it muttered montoni if your discernment is indeed so far obscured by passion as to make explanation necessary and for you madam you should learn that a man of honour is not to be trifled with though you may perhaps with impunity treat a boy like a puppet this sarcasm roused the pride of morano and the resentment which he had felt at the indifference of emily being lost in indignation of the insolence of montoni he determined to mortify him by defending her this also said he replying to montoni's last words this also shall not pass unnoticed i bid you learn sir that you have a stronger enemy than a woman to contend with i will protect signora st aubert from your threatened resentment you have misled me and would revenge your disappointed views upon the innocent misled you retorted montoni with quickness is my conduct my word then pausing while he seemed endeavouring to restrain the resentment that flashed in his eyes in the next moment he added in a subdued voice count morano this is a language a sort of conduct to which i am not accustomed it is the conduct of a passionate boy as such i pass it over in contempt in contempt signor the respect i owe myself rejoined montoni requires that i should converse more largely with you upon some points of the subject in dispute return with me to venice and i will condescend to convince you of your error condescend sir but i will not condescend to be so conversed with montoni smiled contemptuously and emily now terrified for the consequences of what she saw and heard could no longer be silent she explained the whole subject upon which she had mistaken montoni in the morning declaring that she understood him to have consulted her solely concerning the disposal of la vallee and concluding with entreating that he would write immediately to monsieur quesnel and rectify the mistake but montoni either was or affected to be still incredulous and count morano was still entangled in perplexity while she was speaking however the attention of her auditors had been diverted from the immediate occasion of their resentment and their passion consequently became less montoni desired the count would order his servants to row back to venice that he might have some private conversation with him and morano somewhat soothed by his softened voice and manner and eager to examine into the full extent of his difficulties complied emily comforted by this prospect of release employed the present moments in endeavouring with conciliating care to prevent any fatal mischief between the persons who so lately had persecuted and insulted her her spirits revived when she heard once more the voice of song and laughter resounding from the grand canal 
and at length entered again between its stately piazzas. The Zendaletta stopped at Montoni's mansion, and the Count hastily led her into the hall, where Montoni took his arm and said something in a low voice, on which Morano kissed the hand he held, notwithstanding Emily's effort to disengage it, and, wishing her a good evening, with an accent and look she could not misunderstand, returned to Zendaletto with Montoni. Emily, in her own apartment, considered with intense anxiety all the unjust and tyrannical conduct of Montoni, the dauntless perseverance of Morano, and her own desolate situation, removed from her friends and country. She looked in vain to Valancourt, confined by his profession to a distant kingdom, as her protector, but it gave her comfort to know that there was, at least, one person in the world who would sympathize in her afflictions, and whose wishes would fly eagerly to release her. Yet she determined not to give him unavailing pain by relating the reasons she had to regret the having rejected his better judgment concerning Montoni, reasons, however, which could not induce her to lament the delicacy and disinterested affection that had made her reject his proposal for a clandestine marriage. The approaching interview with her uncle she regarded with some degree of hope, for she determined to represent to him the distresses of her situation, and to entreat that he would allow her to return to France with him and Madame Quenelle. Then, suddenly remembering that her beloved La Vallée, her only home, was no longer at her command, her tears flowed anew, and she feared that she had little pity to expect from a man who, like Monsieur Quenelle, could dispose of it without deigning to consult with her and could dismiss an aged and faithful servant, destitute of either support or asylum. But, though it was certain that she had herself no longer a home in France, and few, very few, friends there, she determined to return, if possible, that she might be released from the power of Montoni, whose particularly oppressive conduct towards herself, and general character as to others, were justly terrible to her imagination. She had no wish to reside with her uncle, Monsieur Quenel, since his behaviour to her late father and to herself had been uniformly such as to convince her that in flying to him she could only obtain an exchange of oppressors. Neither had she the slightest intention of consenting to the proposal of Valancourt for an immediate marriage, though this would give her a lawful and a generous protector, for the chief reasons which had formerly influenced her conduct still existed against it, while others, which seemed to justify the step, would not be done away and his interest, his fame, were at all times too dear to her to suffer her to consent to a union which, at this early period of their lives, would probably defeat both. One sure and proper asylum, however, would still be open to her in France. She knew that she could board in the convent where she had formerly experienced so much kindness, and which had an affecting and solemn claim upon her heart, since it contained the remains of her late father. Here she could remain in safety and tranquillity till the term for which La Vallée might be let should expire, or till the arrangement of Monsieur Motteville's affairs enabled her so far to estimate the remains of her fortune as to judge whether it would be prudent for her to reside there. Concerning Montoni's conduct with respect to his letters to Monsieur Quenel, she had many doubts. However he might be at first mistaken on the subject, she much suspected that he wilfully persevered in his error as a means of intimidating her into a compliance with his wishes of uniting her to Count Morano. Whether this was or was not the fact, she was extremely anxious to explain the affair to M. Canel, and looked forward with a mixture of impatience, hope, and fear to her approaching visit. End of chapter 3, part B